Let's open the word of God to a very well-known verse in this church, and it's found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. By God's leading, we want to take a few services and consider the right and only worldview that Christians ought to have. There are Christian worldviews and there are biblical worldviews, but the Lord has taught us to define Christians differently than the world does and a different Bible than the world has, and we use the Bible differently than the world uses it, and we use it in its entirety instead of just a few sound bites. In Psalm 119, which is 176, precious one-sentence statements about the Word of God, a unique chapter in the Bible, broken into eight-verse sections following the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, we have David telling us how wonderful the Bible is, verse after verse, in standalone sentences. We want verse 128, which we all should know and our children should memorize. There are certain verses that teach us principles and axioms for a proper worldview. This is one of them. Psalm 119, verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said that he esteemed, it means he valued all of God's precepts, that means everything God wrote, including his rules, concerning all things, that is every part of life, to be right. Amen. We want the right worldview. And God tells us how to have the right worldview in this verse. And I hate every false way. The world today is against hate if it's hate against them. They are totally in favor of hate against us. And so they ridicule and mock us wherever they can, and they would destroy us if they could, and they will again when they can. But we hate every false way. Worldviews are mutually exclusive, especially ours. Our worldview is intolerant of other worldviews. That does not mean we do not believe in the Bill of Rights, for we do. That's part of our worldview, that we're never going to be in the majority in our world. It doesn't mean that we're violent people. It doesn't mean that we can't interact socially in a community, whether it's workers or neighbors. It just means that we're intolerant. We despise their worldview. We know that ours is right. We know that theirs is wrong. And we just want to remember this verse and other verses. Children, I hope that you will pick up on some verses out of this series. You were given Proverbs 16.4 last night, and I appreciate some children that have quoted that to me this morning. Proverbs 16.4, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. There is so much in that verse. It answers, where did everything come from? Why is it here? Who is the true God? What about evil in the universe? It's all answered. And we thank the Lord for that. Children, I hope that you'll know Genesis 1-1. 
And all we care about at the moment is the first four words. Not the whole verse. The first four words. In the beginning, God. Oh, that's how we get started. Is in the beginning, God. And may the Lord help us. We're not getting started yet. We want to think about some angles on this before we get started. But our children should know Genesis 1-1. We should know Genesis 1-1. We should know in the beginning God is more important than everything you learned combined in school. In the beginning, God. And there's a whole lot more that God has revealed about himself than just the creation that takes place in Genesis 1, but that in its proper time and place. When we use the word worldview, it's one word. And you children can spell it if you can spell the word world and the word view. Worldview. What is it? It's any person's view of the world. Is that complicated? A worldview is how you view the world. A worldview is how you view the world, and the world is life itself, your existence, origins, purpose, morality, religion, and the future. That's a definition of the worldview, of a worldview. I'm going to give you several definitions. Your worldview is the set of facts, presuppositions, principles, and rules for a complete framework for life. A worldview is not a view of the physical world, but a philosophical view of man's existence and his purpose. A worldview answers questions like this. Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Is there a God? What is my future? Those four were basically answered in Proverbs 16.4 as well. A definition of a worldview is your goal for living. It's true purpose and value of life. And how do I achieve it is your worldview. It's the answers to all the big philosophical questions about basic human existence. It's your assumptions about life, morality, and religion that form opinions of ethics, politics, and everything else you deal with in life. It's your worldview. It's all-encompassing. And it can be brought down to every choice you make every day your worldview. It forms your beliefs, how you interpret events, how you respond, how you relate. You can't have a right worldview and wrong actions because there's a breakdown somewhere in there where you really don't, are not committed to your worldview if you have the right one. It will change how you think, speak, and live. Your worldview are the lens or the spectacles through which you see the world and interpret life and life's events. A worldview. A two-year-old's worldview is that he is the center of the world. And everything, all gravitational pull and revolutions of the globe revolve around him. That's a two-year-old's worldview. Hopefully we soon correct our two-year-olds, as they get older from that worldview. A secular humanist thinks the material world is all there is because after this life it's over and there is no more existence. A Buddhist worldview and goals are to reach nirvana or the state of nothingness. That is the intelligence of Buddhism. 
and more could be said on it, but it would turn into nothingness anyway. And since they're all headed to nothingness, let's have nothing to say about them. A biblical or Christian worldview depends on your definitions of Bible and your definitions of Christian, which vary greatly. Consider and compare and contrast the worldview of a Catholic priest to that of a Joel Osteen groupie, to that of a textual critic, to that of a Benny Hinn follower. What does a Great Commission worldview look like? We've been there, seen that before. Think about it. A Great Commission worldview alters how you live from a biblical worldview. What would a Great Commission worldview look like if it were not for their hypocrisy? Since we haven't ever met a real believer in the the Great Commission nor have we seen one, nor have we truly ever read about one. Because if they really believe the Great Commission, that souls are dropping into hell at the rate of one every three seconds, there is no expense, nor shame, nor effort that they would spare to save those poor souls from eternal torment. We've never seen it. But it does affect some people's lives, and it is the mission statement of most churches to fulfill the Great Commission. Ours is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Bible's worldview. If you wanted something simply said. What does an American Epicurean worldview look like? They live, eat, and breathe simply for pleasure. What can they do next to get to fun? That life is about fun. That life is about doing what I want to do. And so their worldview is bent in that direction. How about a global warming alarmist? They have a worldview. The world is burning up because cows are flatulating too often in Iowa fields. If you haven't read about it, you're not up to date on current science. The whole universe is being corrupted by cows' flatulation rates. And what are we going to do? We are going to assign penalties on farmers for past air from cattle and so forth and so on. There is a right worldview, and it dictates how we think and how we view the world, how we think about ourselves, how we think about life, how we think about what we should do next, how we make choices, what we say, what comes out of our mouths, what we do, how we're going to train our children, how important is it to be at church services on Sunday, how important is the Lord, does he get all of me or part of me? All of it is from our worldview. It teaches us how to vote. A biblical Christian following the right worldview, every one of us will always push the same button every time in a three-party system. I have said it exactly as I mean it because this is all I'm going to say about voting. In a three-party system, one big party, two big party, and a three-little party that stands for principle. Because all those people that want to vote for principle need to have that third-party option. And so there's about ten third parties, all of which combined together might, on a good year, garner 1% of the vote. 
But because the Bible dictates our worldview, we know how to sort out those three options and how to hit the right button. It affects everything. The setting in America in 2019 is terrible. The world around us is coming apart ethically, morally, religiously as we watch it. Things have gone from bad to worse. And you, you get to see it every day. You get to hear about it every day. And so the setting for us is that we need the worldview of the Bible more than ever. And we want to be established in it, and we want our children to hold it fast. Every day, there is more and worse news of unbelievable gender confusion, deviant sexual ideas, so forth and so on. Worse and worse. The Bible told us this, so it's part of our worldview that the world is not going to get better. Especially as education is exalted higher and higher, the world is going to get worse and worse. Because that's what education from a humanistic standpoint, does to the world. It ruins it and destroys it. Would to God we had some less educated, harder working people making up America's citizens, we'd have a better nation. But the more they get to go and sit with Barbie and, and reason together about the purpose of life and the rules of our nation and laws and politics, we're going to continue to go downhill because that's reasoning with less than what comes out in the Iowa fields. <clears throat> right and wrong are blurred more and more by an effeminate Christianity around us that's ignorant of God's word. Right. There is violent divergence of Christianity in the world. Hate crimes that I've mentioned already, their suppression, persecution, and bias in everything they report against us for them, against our worldview and its axioms, for their worldview and their worldview's axioms or rules. The, world, the word axiom is something you should have learned in elementary geometry, and it's simply a rule that governs all your calculations and thinking. It's an axiom. It's a standard. It's a, it's a rule that you can't break. The biased, blind, prejudiced, and loud opinions of the world are like the emperor's new clothes. They're all admiring the emperor's new clothes. And here we are. But the emperor is naked. The emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And so the dichotomy and the difference and the chasm between us and the world is greater than ever before. And they want to push on us that we have to admit the emperor has a fantastic set of clothes. When we know he's naked. They're naked. Each news item, each tweet, every event creates an opportunity for you, my brothers and sisters, to exercise judgment by applying our worldview. Everything, everything you read, every event that occurs has, is an opportunity to apply the Bible's worldview to it. And that's what life should be. Because Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 teaches us that those who have gone on from milk to strong meat have their senses exercised. Their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And everything that happens, you should be able to discern any good in it, if there is any good, and the evil in it, and identify it by which axiom of our worldview is it violating. And it's happening all the time. Never before 
have families had so much international and world news piped right into their homes where you can see what is going on in the whole world and make judgments every single day in order to solidify the Bible's worldview for you against them and to be able to interpret the events that are taking place, what would have been the right action in this case instead of the wrong action that was followed, whether it be political from the top down or elementary, basic, simple, person-to-person events from the ground up. Every day we get to see more than anyone ever saw before. You've got to remember, you've got to remember that 150 years ago, 175 years ago, men lived like Cain and Abel. I just want you to always remember that. We live in very changing times, and we have more information flooded into us. If you lived on a farm back in 1825, you didn't know what was going on in the world, and you didn't care what was going on in the world. Right. You, were, you barely knew what was going on in your community, mm-hmm. let alone the big city. The big city was like a foreign country for, to you. But in the last 150 years, it's being piped into us. And so there's all these issues that our parents didn't have to really deal with. Our parents, when they were like Abraham, didn't really care what was going on in Sodom's city council. But now you have Sodom's city council at the national level, city level, every level, piped right into your home. And we should remind our children every day, we stand by the Bible's worldview. And what does that mean, children? We just sang it in God Moves in Mysterious Ways, His Wonders to Perform. That song was terrific and excellent if you read all of its verses. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Tim, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Who made you? Who gave you diabetes? The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God has great plans for His glory and your profit and pleasure. You're special. Because God's going to get glory through you. That's what makes us special. That song we sang... I hope you'll ask your dad later today to go through the verses of it. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He's working a wonder in your life. And we're glad you're here today and doing better with better blood sugar this morning than mine. Thank you for the report. 105. That's as good as it gets. Barna is a research organization that takes surveys of primarily those with a religious background or surveys of a religious nature. And they recently determined that only 4% of Americans, now now please listen, 4% of Americans and 9% of born-again believers, those that would say they were born-again believers, had a biblical worldview. But remember, this will be Barna's definition of a biblical worldview. Right. 4% of Americans, that's pretty good for a Christian nation, wouldn't you say, to have a biblical worldview? And 9% of those that are born-again believers. Here are the eight questions they asked for a biblical worldview. 
Do absolute moral truths exist? 96% of the America said no. 91% of born-again Christian Americans said no. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Amen. <laughs> yes, I know. I know how you would pass the Barna. <laughs> they should come and check our congregation out in the parking lot. They'd get very different results. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? <laughs> I enjoy preaching to this audience. <laughs> Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Amen. Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? So, you know, that's just, those are no-brainers to us. But only 9% of born-again believers could pass it. That's the setting that we're in. Non-biblical worldviews assault us each day by worldly and satanic efforts, and our flesh loves them. That's the problem. There's aspects of different worldviews that our flesh actually likes, and so we have a temptation to consider it. Befriending the world makes us God's enemy, for we flirt with atheistic worldviews when we're a friend of the world. Evil communications corrupt good manners, and that fits here better than mere friends. Sometimes we use 1 Corinthians 15, 33 for friends, but really it's for instruction and doctrine being input into our lives right. and evil communications. Listening to the wrong worldview corrupts good manners. Most Christians have corrupted views of history, law, politics, science, ethics, God, men, sin, and so forth. And I'm talking about Christians. True Christians must and will examine every input that compromises a strict biblical worldview. Right. We want our children to think instinctively about the axioms of our worldview. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Renewed minds transform to a correct worldview rather than be conformed to a false. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let us remind ourselves of something that the Apostle Paul taught on the heels of laying out 11 chapters regarding salvation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to notice the last word of chapter 11, at the end of the 36th verse, is Amen. Because Paul is dividing this epistle in its first and largest division into two sections, 1 through 11 about salvation, 12 through 16 about how we ought to live. And so he says, based on 11 chapters about salvation and God's saving grace through Jesus Christ, I beseech you, therefore... Based on what God did for us in saving us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, 
But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. While the word worldview is not in these two verses, the concept of worldview is definitely in these two verses. Because it tells us in verse 2, be not conformed to this world. We don't want to think or reason or view life and this, and this planet and the universe and God and relationships and everything else the way the world does. Be not conformed to this world. Don't let their worldview affect you. But be ye transformed. We need to change completely, which is a transformation. That ye may, but, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we come into this place to hear the word of God and to have our minds renewed, made new again from how the world thinks and how we think naturally. This is what we're doing in a few messages about a worldview. We've got to renew our minds so that we think differently. We think correctly instead of like the world wants us to think. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind We want to renew our minds so that this results, that ye may prove, that is to display, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We want to prove it by living it out and displaying it to those around us. So there's going to be a difference. If we're not going to be conformed to the world, but we're going to be transformed away from it, then the difference between us and the world is going to get larger and larger. And so you should expect that. Now, by the grace of God, we should anticipate it and enjoy it. I thank God that he made me different a long time ago, that I enjoyed being different, not for difference sake, not to be different in that way, but to to think outside the box. I don't want to be put in their box. I don't want their envelope to dictate how I'm going to think. I want to think God's way. And I don't care if every single person I know doesn't like it. If it's God's way, then it's the right way, and it doesn't need even another person believing it because it's true even if I don't believe it. It's still true. And so we've got to expect that. And that sword, that sword's going to come into families because most don't want to follow the Bible worldview. And as we do, then family's going to hate us. And it's going to happen. Friends are going to hate you. Colleagues are going to hate you. So be it. We'll try to be peaceful as much as lieth in us, we'll live peaceably with all men. That's part of our worldview while we're in this world, but we're not going to let it discourage us. Be vigilant. That's in my notes. Not notes I made because I heard the martyr's presentation this morning. Be vigilant about your worldview. When we heard the martyr's memorial today from Nathan, we heard about a power couple that were committed to a true biblical worldview. If you listen to some of their statements, it was a biblical worldview. And it was perfect for this topic. Perfect. They did not pray or ask in any of those letters for God to deliver them. The way that most people think that God should be used to deliver them. They prayed for God to deliver them out of the mouths of wolves and out of a den of wolves, into heaven, where they could meet again under the altar of God. Now, how did they know 
that there is a heaven that has a God in it and that God has an altar and that they would be under it and we wouldn't. See, they won't have to work very hard to find each other because we will not be clogging up the area under the altar of God because we're not martyrs. But they understood all that. And their love for each other was to encourage each other to hold to a worldview while they were being made a foot taller on a rack. Did you hear it? Wife, hold fast. Be happy. The Lord will deliver us. Think about all of his precious promises to us. He'll deliver us soon. That is a biblical worldview, and it conquers this earth because part of our biblical worldview is be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Be vigilant, my brethren. False worldviews are Fox, Rush, Disney, Forbes, Hollywood, Drudge, CNN, and the rest. Now I put two in there for you to know that I think that some of my sources of news are false worldviews. And I don't think they're false worldviews. I know they are false worldviews. And I don't read them for their worldviews. And when I do, it's just another opportunity to exercise my senses to discern good and evil. Well, that stinks. I wish I could crawl through this internet cable and choke Steve Forbes. Not to death, just to get his attention. (laughs) Steve, if you're listening to this, I didn't mean any physical harm. But your worldview is messed up. You got it legitimately. It's in your genes and it's in your instruction and it's in your education. But Lord, help us all. All those inputs that are coming in. We got to make sure that we're protecting our families and we're protecting ourselves lest we get a loose, lest we get a compromising or a weak worldview. If you don't keep the right worldview solidly in place, you'll be vulnerable to the world's lies. Everyone has a worldview whether consciously considered, intelligently examined, or expressed or not. Everyone has a worldview. That's how they make decisions. They all have one. They all have a bad one or bad ones because they do differ. Worldviews are not the same and they have different outcomes. There can only be one right worldview with the positive, blessed outcome that the Bible describes. Everyone makes choices of thought, what they're going to think, choices of opinion, where they will stand on issues. What they're going to say, when they'll they'll say it, how they'll say it. Their actions, their relationships, and their response to events by a worldview. That's what a worldview is. It's the whole framework that makes you do what you do, that makes you think what you think, that makes you say what you say. Most men are not smart enough to identify the reasons for their worldview or to defend it to others. They just feel like it. So they do what they feel like. When you meet a person that does what they feel like, you've met a worldling. They are not Christians. Christians do the opposite of what they feel like because they want to do what is right, and God will give them right feelings as a result of doing what is right. Right. And right feelings are always better than worldly feelings of the flesh. Everyone has a worldview. 
we have chosen to ignore the legion of different worldviews of various philosophies and religions. They are not worth the study, and they create a distraction from zealous application of truth. They're a distraction. You know, we could, we could list many more than this. Here are a few just to list them by name. Humanism, communism, Buddhism, atheism, rationalism, Hinduism, socialism, Catholicism, Epicureanism, nationalism, libertarianism, Islam, Freemasonry, Mormonism, and on and on we could go. A predisposition to emphasize errors and to study those particular isms out and make a project of it indicates a false worldview. Because God's worldview wants us to be simple concerning evil and committed to what is true. We don't need to learn all those isms. Once in a while, we need to pick on a few Christian isms because they tempt us the most and they tempt us through our relatives at times. False worldviews under many disguises are aggressively pushed at you every day in various ways. By the way people talk to each other, by the way women talk about their husbands while they're at work, constantly there is information being conveyed, whether intentionally or not, whether habitually or not, that is evidence of a wrong worldview. And so you've got to have your guard up at all the time, or it will break you down to think, well, it's okay if I criticize my, wife, my husband a little bit. No, it isn't okay for you to criticize your husband even a little bit. That's part of God's worldview. And if you allow influences to water that down and to weaken you, then you're not holding fast to the worldview of the Bible because the worldview of the Bible affects every part of your life. An intentional worldview is not just a creed quoted at church or philosophy mantras in a wall, man, wall mural. It's part of your life. The true worldview reasons from a creator God to his proven revelation to his perfect rules for life. That's how we build a worldview. We reason from in the beginning God to the fact that God gave a revelation of himself and of this world and universe, its origins, its end, and how it should conduct itself in between. And then we reason from that to the rules for life, and that's how we ought to live. That's putting it in three points. I am not going to put it in three points. The three points are God is, God gave a revelation, and it tells us everything we need for life. That's as simple as you can make it. Because in the beginning, God only gets you started. You do not know how to live by understanding four words, in the beginning, God. That God gave a revelation, and that revelation tells us what to do with our lives. An intentional worldview is the framework to guide your every thought, every spoken word, and every action. Therefore, it must be established as true, reviewed often for refreshing, and exercised in all your choices. Let's go to Hebrews 5 just for you to see it in print, what the Bible wants us to do to grow up. Some people never grow up. Here's why. Hebrews 5, Paul had the same problem. Paul had the same problem with the Hebrews as he had with the Corinthians. They were children. They were infants. They were babes. They weren't growing up. We want to grow up in Christian maturity so that we're doing what is right 
based on the right worldview at all times. Hebrews 5.12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Those of you that have sat under the sound of the gospel for a few years, you ought to be teachers. Not needing things explained again, but teachers, teaching your wives, teaching your children, teaching others that you meet. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Now that's a good definition for a worldview. The first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's what we want. That's what we want for all of us, especially the men. We want to have the senses exercised to discern good and evil so that you can teach your wives and you can teach your children and hold your families fast in the one and only right worldview. Lord, help us to that end. It's got to be defended as true, and all opposing worldviews, within the limits I've already given, should be identified and despised when they compete. My brothers and sisters, are you able, by your retention, willing, by your humility, and ready, by your zeal for God, to oppose false worldviews in your life? Are you going to live out the right worldview? Discerning good and evil is not some Mickey Mouse child's game of thinking in your head, I know what is right and wrong. That is irrelevant. To settle for that. It's doing it. It's doing it, finding error in others' lives and helping correct them to keep your little mission field on the right course. And that's your family. You can't settle for this. Yes, it starts there but then it's got to come out in what you do with that information. We know more than the world can even imagine. The world cannot imagine the body of knowledge that we have in this room. They know nothing about everything. Right. It's amazing. If you stop and sit down with it, just grab a piece of paper and pencil down some of the things we know. Where did the universe come from? Proverbs 16.4 will be good enough. Where did everything come from? Why is it here? Who made it, and what is his name, and where is it going? It's going to hell. We know, we know stuff they can't even imagine. We know the life expectancy of a person. We know that it hasn't changed for 3,000 years. Right. We know that it can't be changed. We know that it has planned obsolescence built into it called death. Last Sunday, Romans 5, 12 through 19, is part of our worldview. Right. Even studying it makes you want to think about a worldview because our worldview identifies where death comes from. We know death. We know, when it, we know where it came from, who it came by, when it came, and its cure, when it will end, how it will end, who will end it, and his name. Can you imagine all that we know? And they take tests. Who discovered Bolivia? In the big scheme of things, who cares if there is a Bolivia? 
We know so much. And it, we, our children should be taught that. And you should show your children that. And you nor they should ever doubt it for a second. Genesis 3, and I taught it to open up this year, reveals incredible knowledge about the physical and spiritual world and human existence. Right. It was a sermon entitled Catastrophe and Cure. The catastrophe on this planet that occurred in Genesis chapter 3 is powerful, right. and it should be reviewed all the time because what happened in Genesis chapter 3 impacts every day of our lives. Yeah. Every day of our lives. Husband, every time you blame your wife for something that happened, and I'm as good as any, Remember, it comes from Genesis chapter 3. Right. It comes from Genesis chapter 3. And it's not a good indicator from Genesis chapter 3. Right. It's a bad indicator right. that we're sinners. And it just goes on. Genesis 3 is just jam-packed full of information the world doesn't know anything about. They're staggering around in the dark. And the Lord would say they act like they're drunk, but it, well, it's not wine. It's because I have blinded them. Isaiah tells us over and over again. Romans 12 is so powerful in what we covered in the last couple of Sundays. You already know your worldview, but you've got to emphasize and reinforce it for yourself and your family. That's why all the emphasis here on an introduction is are you going to get a hold of this and get a vision for it? You know, I've let things slip a little bit. It would be good to talk about at least one current event every single day and to put it into biblical perspective of what does the Bible say about this so that I can get the senses of my children exercised. Just getting your children, their senses exercised so that they can get a score on the SAT? The SAT doesn't know anything about life. That's the distraction of the SAT. That's the distraction of academics and sports. And they're both equal to each other. They're a distraction from a real worldview. Give me a man with a, world, a real worldview. He will know how to work. If you line him up, in even an average job, and he'll practice the worldview every day on the job, he will advance. But we got it's a it's a folk it's a focus, it's an emphasis, it is a priority. We have to teach our children the right worldview. It affects everything you think, say, and do. And there's ever more issues and controversies for us to think about. Every person's got one. But listen, what does it say about marriage? What, what do worldviews today say about marriage? Now, you can think about same sex versus opposite sex, but there's also how should husbands treat wives and how should wives treat husbands? There's so much involved in that one word, that one concept, that one institution called marriage, and yet the worldviews differ greatly on it. We are at opposition about marriage. There's so many things. How soon should children date in order to get married? Should parents be involved? Should you marry outside of the Lord? Just one little subject, marriage, and our worldview sets us, up, sets us different from them in 5, 10, 20, 50 different ways. Are you committed to it? Politics, child training, work ethic, education, religion, law, sex, abortion, marijuana, gender identity, labor unions, same-sex topics, charity. All these things are dictated by your worldview. The last one I said was charity. Mm -hmm. Isn't it wonderful? When Christians are jumping in right beside Madonna 
to send charity to Haiti. Now, when Christians are jumping in beside Madonna, something's wrong. Lord, help us. A Bible Christian has a very different worldview from unbelievers that strongly affects his choices. As I said, he can only vote one way in our present three-party system with ordinary knowledge about the three candidates. God and Solomon identified for us hatred between worldviews. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, because this is where it starts. So many things start in Genesis chapter 3. I know that Genesis chapter 1 is about creation, and you think that things started there, and they did, but those things were corrupted by the time we got to chapter 3. In chapter 1, God said everything that he had made was good and very good. By chapter 3, man has corrupted God's way on the earth. By chapter 6, he's corrupted it further, and God drowns the entire planet with a flood. See, we have a worldview that tells us about all the strata that can be seen in the Grand Canyon because there's a simple event of history that the world wants to deny because they don't like the even concept of a being behind it that would suffocate the entire planet, including all their little children that are reading the weekly reader. I love that God because we deserve it because we chose I went to bed very messed up last night for wasting some time with Ravi Zacharias in a couple of YouTube clips of one of the top five apologists in the world who my uncle trained at Ontario Bible College back in the 1960s and 70s, him trying to defend Christianity against ridiculous questions about evil. So on Wednesday nights, you just may get some slides done a few years ago about the problem of evil in the universe because it ain't a problem. We chose it. We chose it. I'm telling you, you get one of these little kids that has been sent to school with hot lunch money from the age of five on and let them go off to college and be 20 years old and be able to sit in a place with a man like him and get to stand up and have a microphone handed to them and ask one of their stupid questions, you should explode from the inside out. You're asking... You're asking the dumbest person on earth to ask a question. Someone in school. They've never worked a day in their lives. They've never had a real relationship in their life. They haven't done anything. They're still being spoon-fed garbage. And they get to ask questions about my God, about some particular event where a gun was held at a man's head, and why didn't God stop the finger from pulling the trigger that blew the other man's head off? Oh, I've got answers in one sentence for each of those men. They're only worrying about the man holding the trigger. I can answer both of them because they both chose death in the Garden of Eden. That's why. They chose death in the Garden of Eden, and the man that got his head blown off should thank the God of glory for giving him 40 years in this world enjoying free milk at the public school system for 40 years before he got killed since he chose death in the Garden of Eden. Right. You say, you're, you're crazy. You're messed. Oh, I know I am. I want to be as messed up as I can be based on the Bible. Amen. I'm not bothered one bit by that question. God, we chose death in the Garden of Eden, so why is anybody surprised about it? I want to tell you something. This is going to come back up Wednesday night. They always leave out one factor. 
one very big factor when they start questioning and accusing and blaming God for evil in the world. They always leave it out. They always, why does God, why does God, why does God? And that's because of men like Billy Graham who didn't have a proper Bible worldview. If you go online and read Billy Graham's statement in the National Cathedral of this country after 9-11, you will read entire ignorance about the Bible and about the God of the Bible from Billy Graham. It's terrible. I am confused by this. I do not understand it. Evil is a mystery in the world. On and on he goes. God loves every one of us, regardless of, regardless of nationality or religion. He said all that. It's terrible. And so it's always, I do not understand why God did this. I don't, I don't know about God. Why did God do this? Why did God let this happen? I am angry at God for doing this to me. Who have they left out? There is a diabolical fiend. Don't, don't jump to conclusions. There is a diabolical fiend involved that they never want to deal with. And it's man. It's man. It isn't the devil. The point I'm making right now is man. Man chose death in the Garden of Eden. So why are we ever surprised by it? We should be thanking the God of glory that it was only 3,000 out of a 330 million population nation which can't even be registered statistically because it was so small. It could have been large. Why didn't he decimate the nation? Our nation deserves decimating. That's taking one out of ten. Caesar would keep their legions in order because if a, if a legion failed, that legion would be decimated. Every tenth soldier would be killed as a lesson. One out of ten. From Deca in Latin for ten. A decimation. What, if, what would a decimation have been of America back on 9-11? It would have been 33 million. It's man. We chose death. Man deserves death. How can anybody look or read about Hiroshima and not connect what happened to Hiroshima to the Japanese War Council that said, let's bomb Pearl Harbor? Why can't they connect that? All they want to do is, why could God allow Hiroshima to burn? Because Japan begged for it to burn. Every intelligent one among them at the highest levels of that government knew exactly what was going to happen in just a couple of years. They knew their deadline. They knew that if they didn't conquer all of the Pacific Basin, within a couple of years it'd be over because we'd bury them. But it's the connection. Forget about warmongering. I'm talking about the connection. There's a fiend that men don't want to address. Now there's another fiend that they don't want to address either, and Satan is real, and that's part of our worldview. Satan is real. I pulled a systematic theology off my shelf and showed my wife how my uncle trained Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias stood there and had an audience, and it's all over the YouTube, and he defended the most important principle that must be kept to. Two most important principles the free will of man, and the love of God. And he turned that whole question into a defense of the free will of man and the love of God. And I was shouting mad because I wanted to preach about the holiness of God and sinful rebels like men. It makes all the difference in the world. 
Look at Genesis 3.15. I want you to know that there's a war been declared 6,000 years ago. You have a brother in this congregation named Charlie. He's a very impatient brother. He wanted to, just hold on. He wanted to cut to the chase this morning and get to the bottom axiom right off the bat. He wants the last axiom to be the first axiom. And do you know what the last axiom is? God wins. Amen. Yes, God wins. Well, see, Charlie would just have us go home or maybe stop at Cracker Barrel on the way and have breakfast together because God wins. And that is a wonderful, you know, I said three is about as simple as you could make it, but we could boil it down to one axiom. God wins. And we know him and he's our father. And he's told us the details of the victory. God wins. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, let's go to... Just give me a couple more minutes here before lunch. And that is, that is a part of it. But look at the war that was declared 6,000 years ago, Genesis 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. There's a war. There's a war between Satan's elements in the world and Jesus Christ's elements in the world, between the devil himself and between the Lord Jesus Christ. We come over to chapter 4. In verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Murder, right off the bat. First family. First generation of children. Cain kills Abel. Why? Let's go over to 1 John chapter 3 and find out why. Now we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're turning in the Bible. Because you shouldn't turn in the Bible until you've proven that the Bible is God's word and that there is a God that gave the Bible. But let's do it anyway. 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, listen children, I want you to know that there is so much independent, internal, external evidence and proof for the Bible being a supernatural book given by God and no other holy book in the world has any at all. Right. Start off with fulfilled prophecies if you want one of 50 proofs of the Bible's integrity and truthfulness. It's, it's fulfilled prophecy. There's no other holy book in the Bible, that holy book other than the Bible that has any. 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Remember, Genesis 3, 15 said that Satan's seed and the woman's seed are going to be at enmity. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. He was of the devil. He was a child of the devil and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. If you ever feel hatred or animosity, grudges or bitterness against anyone in this congregation, it's because you're living out your life like Cain. You are trying to be like Cain. Because it tells me here in verse 11, in this, for this is the message that she heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. That we should love one another. There is a war, and the war and the hatred of it involves murder, and they would murder us if they could. Because we are a constant reminder to them that there is a God that hates their lifestyle and is going to judge them and burn up this planet. I have lines and lines of references here, but let's limit ourselves to the book of Proverbs and one chapter of it. Proverbs chapter 29. There's a war. Do you remember how many times going through the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ taught his apostles... The world hates me, the world's going to hate you. That's right. The world hates me because I expose its wicked deeds. I expose its wrong worldview. 
I expose its errors and its lies. And the world's hated me, it's going to hate you. He said it over and over again. He described the animosity and the war and the conflict that was there. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 10. The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. An upright man, just men love upright men. Because just men have a worldview that says, love good men. Be lovers of good men. I'm always looking for good men. They are the ones I love. They are my friends. Because I'm told to do that. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. And we're told right here to do it. The just seek the upright's soul. The just want to know the upright and they love the upright. But the bloodthirsty hate the upright. This is describing a conflict in the world that we've got to recognize and be armed for by holding fast to our right worldview. Look at verse 27 of this chapter. Proverbs 29 and verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. Let's look at the second half first. He that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. We know that. The wicked world around us hates upright men. Even Christians, as soon as they let carnal Christianity taint their lives, haters of those that are good, despisers of those that are good, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, boom, there it is. Because that's how it's going to get exposed. Devilish influences are going to result in bitterness, grudges, hatred, violence, rejection, rebellion, animosity, strife, contention. All of those things are from the devil. And so we look at verse 27, we understand the second half, that the wicked abominate, that is, they despise and loathe the upright, that are upright in the way, those that are living right, they despise them. But this is what is not taught, and it's the first half of the verse. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. True just men, living by the right worldview, despise and abominate and loathe unjust men, right. wicked men. And so there's animosity on both sides, but God wins. And so we thank the Lord for that. Some worldviews, by definition, should be intolerant because they don't allow any other worldviews, and that's ours. But we are not violent, as I said earlier. We do engage in society at work and with our neighbors. We're not enemies of society. We do not reject the Bill of Rights. We are very thankful for it. We do not mind if a mosque is built in Greenville. We do not mind if the Greek Orthodox already have one of their cathedrals here in Greenville because we know that in a Bill of Rights like we have in our nation, it gives us the right to worship like we do with the freedom that we do. We're, never, we're not violent. We're not enemies of society. We'll jump in and help with societal needs and we'll work together with unbelievers as the Bible teaches us to do. It does mean that we preach in the pulpit and teach in our homes an absolute and certain worldview. And our worldview includes the God of the Bible, Jehovah, and the Bible itself. So we must hate other worldviews because of the verse I began with. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. The flood was in part due to sons of God and their worldview compromise with the world. Right. 
If you go read Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God married the daughters of men. The Tower of Babel was God's judgment on a one-world worldview that violated his revealed will. Look at David in Psalm 101 and his commitment to uphold a worldview in his home. Psalm 101, verses 3 through 8. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I will set no wicked, wicked worldview before mine eyes. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. A froward heart shall depart from me. In verse 4, I will not know a wicked person. Verse 6, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Look at the choice God made, that David made, for the inputs that he would have in his life and those that he would associate with. David had strong conviction. This church and every church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen. That is the pillar and ground. That is the support and the defender of a proper worldview. And we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. When Paul was in Athens and they gave him an opportunity to speak, he blasted their worldview as being idiotic at several different levels and then warned them that God had winked at their ignorance, their ignorant worldview in times past and was now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Our divine library that we have in the Bible contains incredible knowledge, truth, and wisdom for right thinking. Faith is not weakness. A lack of faith is weakness. Faith is not ignorance. A lack of faith is ignorance. Because what you can prove in a test tube is nothing. It's not even measurable as a part of the universe. Because the important things of the universe are not seen. So how are you going to examine them under a microscope or with a telescope? They can't be seen. There's obsolescence built into every DNA and human cell that can't be seen. And if you can see it, it still isn't the real thing. Because the real thing is an assignment from God that is a legal punishment right. and a legal sentencing upon the planet. Right. And the whole, the whole creation is groaning in travail and pain and suffering until now. And we know why. And we know the cure for it. Faith is reasonable. A lack of faith is unreasonable. Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says that deliver me, pray for me that I might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. Notice, unreasonableness is set against having faith. Faith is reasonable. And our faith is very reasonable because it reasons from a God that's proven himself by his creation and then proven himself by a book that's got internal and external evidence that it is a supernatural book. They exercise faith in their theory of evolution. They can't prove it. They can't demonstrate it. They don't have a hypothesis that can answer hardly any questions about it whatsoever. They have greater faith because they have faith in themselves and their hallucinations to get rid of the God that is going to judge them and damn them to eternal torment in the lake of fire. And the righteous will rejoice because the righteous hate the wicked. We're still Proverbs 29 and verse 27. I have taught you these things in times past. It is my job to make war with you when I'm in the pulpit. Second Corinthians 10, 4 through 6 says it's my job to make war, to bring every one of your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ and the one and only right worldview. So that's my job. And it's every father's job, along with his wife, to teach his children. In Isaiah 38 and verse 19, 
Hezekiah is begging for an extension on his life. He's only 39 years old, and he's begging, and the Lord gives him 15 years. He said, the living, the living, he shall make known thy truth to his children. If you'll give me life, I'll teach my children the right worldview. Are you men committed to doing that? Are you men committed to teaching your wives? Don't let your little emotional love-ers, your emotional lovers, ever get astray. Bring them back to the Word of God, always. The Bible says if a woman will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. Are you men able, and are you men willing, and are you men showing by example that you're able to sit down with your wife and show to her the way of God more perfectly and keep her on track with you? And if your family's upside down, then wives, I hope you can get your husband back on track. Oh, that's sad. God ordained fathers to teach children of God's truth and wisdom, including a worldview. Solomon's book of Proverbs is primarily to his son. The Bible exalts the potential of four generations. And we have four generations of some families in this church, and it's a, and it's a blessing. And we should be looking at that and, and making sure that our children, our children's children, know the right worldview. May the Lord help us to that end. Amen. Your educational choices for your children need to exalt a complete worldview over academics and sports. Do it right. Do it God's way. God's promise to bless it. Amen. If Hindus can replicate themselves to ten generations teaching insanity, what can you do with truth? Right. You know, they get it done. They get the job done. One totally ignorant generation begets another totally ignorant generation, and no one ever says the emperor is naked. They just keep right on going, generation after generation. If they can do it, we can do it. Give me your heart. Every fa father, ask your children, give me thy heart. Proverbs 23, 26. Let me teach your heart the right worldview. I've consciously taught this church over many years, most of the angles for a perfect worldview, but we'll try to summarize some of that teaching in a few sermons. Men, lead your wives and children to hold it fast at all times. Women, support your husbands. Never be like Mrs. Job. Mrs. Job didn't have the right worldview. You're still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. She's why I wanted to crawl into internet land last night and get a hold of a college student. Oh, to be married to such a thing. You're still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Woman, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we, not, shall we receive good at God's hands and not evil? Right. What an ignorant woman. No woman in this church should ever be like that, and I trust that you never will be. Young men, you need to be committed that you're going to hold a worldview in your family. You're going to be confident about that worldview, and you're going to be verbal in expressing it. And young women, they're the only ones that should be married. Any man that isn't living the worldview, verbal for the worldview, committed to the worldview, confident for the worldview, doesn't deserve a wife or children. May the Lord bless us as a church, family, and all the families that make up this church to hold fast to that one worldview against all attacks. Yeah, right. God does win, and we win with him. And we win with him. Mm -hmm. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen. Amen.